What is going on, Asymmetry? How's everybody doing? Getting into the 2022 year, I've been following this gentleman and have been super curious about his journey as I've watched it continue to progress, having experienced life in Japan myself as a foreigner and a deshi in such a traditional art form. Adam Jones of Treehouse Bonsai not only broke the mold by apprenticing in Japan at the coveted uh, and and highly regarded Monsai Inn, but he also has established himself as a functioning professional within the Japanese bonsai community. We took a moment to sit down with Adam on the first birthday of his young son and uh, just really dig deep. I did not know what to expect, and uh, it was it was thoroughly enjoyable. Uh, an incredibly deep thinker, a very talented artist, and a person in the sphere of bonsai who is sure to leave a very significant and positive imprint on the relationship between East and West. Sit back and enjoy. Uh, I'm super excited to get to sit down with you and talk because I, I've like, um, we weren't in Japan together, but I've been like tracking your journey as as I've been back in the United mm. States, and it it all kind of started with like, hey, have you heard of that guy that's like in Japan that's uh, becoming a bonsai <laughs> professional in Japan? I think he's from the United States, and I was like, I have not heard of this gentleman, but let me check it out because he's got to be crazy. Mm-hmm. He absolutely has got to be crazy. Which is not derogatory <laughs> well, in any way. I'm just saying, bold, bold move, my friend. Yeah. Bold move. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, I'm not quite convinced it was the right thing to do, but uh, I'm giving it a try anyway. Yeah, yeah. Where are you from originally? Uh, Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Oh, I'll jump in on Pittsburgh. We just drove through there this year and last year. I mean, that town. It, when you're going, uh, let's see, west to east. And it's just like kind of the woodsy area on the freeway. And then you would like come around a corner and you're just like, Pittsburgh, hey, look at all this elevation change. It had some glitter. It had some serious sparkle. glitter. I thought, it, I thought it was pretty awesome. Yeah, it's a, it's a diamond in the rough right there in Pittsburgh, you know? So yeah. it's, uh, yeah, it's a, there's a lot going on there. There's a lot of universities and, and young people. And it's, uh, yeah, it's a booming town. But um, how did you- I was from the suburbs right then. So go ahead. How, how, so how did you how did you end up in Japan? What's the what, what's the story? When did you start doing bonsai? How did you end up in Japan? Um, well, um, so are we gonna like get right into it? Yeah. So uh, I went to um, a university, an Alfred University in upstate New York. Right. Um, just by the way, that happens also to be where Michael Hagedorn got his uh, masters of ceramics. Great. So I went there for. Uh, I got a bachelor's of the fine arts and a teaching degree, right. From, from that university. And then, um, I was like traveling around Asia teaching English for a few years after, after college and, uh, just kind of ended up in Japan teaching English. And, and in truth, I actually wanted to study landscape design, landscape architecture. So the goal was to just to come and hang out in Japan for, for a few years and, and spend as much time as possible in Japanese gardens. And, um, just by happenstance, I, I, the English school. Okay, so I don't know if I just said that, but I was teaching English, right? This is the 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 window into to traveling and living in a country rather than um, just visiting as a tourist. So, so where I was teaching English was in Omiya, right, and Agio, 
and um just so happens that it's like the mecca of bonsai sure and um and prior to coming to japan i actually didn't really do bonsai i was more interested in garden design and um but having this background in in art and specific so like the art i was doing was um making like landscape printmaking these like three so i was printing out these digital prints and then cutting them out and making these three-dimensional sculptures that were i was using like semi-castable polyurethanes and and things like that to, to talk about this relationship between uh man and nature and, and what happens to man-made spaces when the inevitable push of nature returns back into them so i was focusing on mosses and 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 um uh fungi and, and things like that right how how you know it's like in the corners of spots that's where nature creeps back in and the cracks mm -hmm. so um so then i was in japan and doing teaching english and my my uh the manager of the english school i was working at just said hey if you're interested in trees and stuff you should go check out this bonsai museum that's like right around the corner so i was like oh yeah cool uh so then i went and, and just like stumbled into monse in one day and um it's like wow this is this is incredible and uh because i had that background in in art and the, uh, the natural aspects of you know nature was the 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 focus of the art I'll put that in air quotes the art that i was making um it seemed like a natural transition to uh to focus on um to try to pursue bonsai right it's mm -hmm. this this meshing of of the natural world and and on art um so yeah so then i decided not to go back to the states and i decided to pursue because when i first started at monsan i was i i agreed with uh with uh Kato-san to to do two years and then somewhere about uh maybe eight or ten months into it i was talking to my senior hirao-san and he said you should do the whole five i said hmm, yeah think about that and we were in the car driving uh, downtown and i thought about it for the rest of that, that car ride i was like yeah i'm in i'm in this for sure right this is the thing to do yeah yeah, wow, that's interesting. So, so you hadn't had. Well, well, how did you get into garden design? I mean, back in growing up in I just Pittsburgh, really like plants. Yeah, I really like really like plants and and uh, really like being outside and in garden. And again, where this this I that intersection between man-made space and the natural world that is uh, always captivated me. Mm -hmm. And so that this is garden, right? This is the walled nature mm -hmm. garden. So that's that's why it's just. I used to when I was growing up, my dad and I he would uh, plant like a a vegetable garden every year. So I would help him, um, you know, do the. We would grow uh, tomatoes and things from seed. So he had this like hot house in one of the rooms in our basement where we would grow some um, start tomatoes from seeds on on heat beds and stuff and so i used to help him with that every year and so it's really like really like plants <laughs> yeah. yeah yeah and you were born and raised in pittsburgh oh, i was born in dayton ohio uh -huh. but i i moved when i was three so that's like uh, i'm basically yeah pittsburgh yeah do you miss pittsburgh no huh. <laughs> no, no <okay. laughs> that's good i mean uh, <laughs> certainly there's this idea about um exploring the other right what what we what we 
grew up in becomes very normalized and and to some extent um you know boring mm. it's 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 it is it, we, it's we know it intimately so it's not that exciting anymore um and so there is surely this push to go and explore elsewhere right but if i lived in america i would not live in pittsburgh because i think i it's so familiar to me that i'm i i the perhaps as a, a visitor to pittsburgh you find some nuance and some novelty involved but um, growing up there it's really i didn't know what it is yeah it, so when you lived in the united states growing up and whatnot did you um did you have the opportunity or did you uh ever get to go see some of the national parks and some of the western united states and see the native landscape you know i've actually never been farther west than uh st louis wow yeah mm-hmm. oh no no i guess uh minneapolis but is that really um, i'm not sure if that's any farther west but i've never been to colorado or, or california or anything i would love to but yeah haven't had the chance yet radical that's radical yeah. so so uh you went from pittsburgh up to uh alfred and that's in upstate new york right yeah southern tier but yeah new york state yeah. okay essentially yeah. essentially isolated in the middle of nowhere yeah yeah, yeah that's a tough that's a up, yeah up in the up up in the hinterlands of new york is a really interesting part of the country and then and then you went to asia and and, and taught english for a few years and traveled through asia ended up in mm-hmm. japan thinking about garden design i'm i'm really intrigued i'm trying to like fight back the enthusiasm of you talking about uh, the intersection of nature and man um, but we'll get there because I'm just trying to understand like the amassing of becoming an apprentice in Japan uh, to study bonsai is not a small decision and it's not a small commitment. So like at some point, I guess I feel like there does have to be not a catastrophic event, but there's got to be uh, there's got to be an immaculate conception that that is the direction to go in life. And you went and saw Monsai mm-hmm. in and and then you decided I'm going to apprentice for two years, which is not a small commitment for a westerner to apprentice for two years and then part of the way in you're talking with your son and you're and you're like i guess i'll just yeah i'm in i'm in for the whole gig now we're good we're going we're going yeah. we're going deep um yeah. <laughs> i mean that's like hey, man, pretty rapid progression of bonsai passion good, good hats off to you and kudos peter warren you know had a similar kind of story of of teaching english and then and then walking into shunkai in and it was either ramen or bonsai and he went bonsai um <laughs> but that but that's fascinating yeah that's fascinating what is it that caught you what did it what is it that you were like okay i want to do this and i'll do this for two years i'm part of the way in and i'm going to agree to five and now i'm going to live in japan and and and, and do this professionally in a in a very foreign territory yeah uh, <laughs> what is it that caught me um well you know, I'm not, uh, I'm not sure. I honestly, I really don't know that there is some, some single moment that was like, Oh, here's the, here's the light bulb. Here's the epiphany. Let's do this. It was, you know, the slow progression of, um, it's like the, I don't know if this is actually true, but there's that saying about you put a, a toad or a frog in some lukewarm water and then turn it on and it won't jump out. Even if it starts boiling. Mm-hmm kind of a situation right a slow progression of um but as a okay so let me try and see if i can answer that question a little bit more well and i'm not talking I, i'm not I saying that like you know sud- suddenly your bonsai passion was born but i'm saying like 
maybe even an aspect of bonsai or like some something where you where it like captured your attention to the degree that you know for me when i saw bonsai uh it was a it was a moment of immaculate conception for me like i just um i'd been exposed to it i was aware of it but um I saw an infomercial about Japan and, and like it ended with this like flash of a bonsai and it was like Japan, mm. you know, and then, and then it was like travel Japan and the, the, like Nippon Airways or something. And, um, <clears throat> and I was like, wow, bonsai tree. And then like the next day, the County fair, there was, you know, some guy selling rooted percumbens cuttings and in, in sure, really sure. cheap glazed pots. And, and I was like, Oh, normal people can do that. That for me was it. That was the, mo- that was the moment. Yeah. I mean, I, when I was living in, so I lived in South Korea for a while, um, like two years, and they were there was a an area like a little garden guy, and he was making miwaki right uh, near where I was living, and um, and then I was like, oh wow, you can like you know like train trees and you can like prune them and it turns them into something. Like you can control these, you know, you can control the the growth of trees, and that was a pretty interesting. Um, moment, I was like, oh, I wonder how you can do that. I wonder how you can do that. And then it's like the garden design stuff. Okay, well, if you're designing gardens, are you controlling? And how much of it are you can control? Right? You, yeah, you can position things, and yeah, of course, you can prune them and stuff. But ultimately, they're growing in the ground, and you don't really have you have control of the uh, original positionings. Um, but inside of a bonsai pot, you can control everything. Mm-hmm. And you won't well, surely you need to, but um, in the sense that you are maintaining it, you are controlling its position, you're controlling it, how much water, how much fertilizer, and all these other things, then um, it does start to bridge that gap back towards you know art and um, and the 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 conscious pursuit of aesthetic beauty, and perhaps that's what it is. If you have uh, this inclination if i have this inclination towards the natural world and just the 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 awe that is trees but then you can see that it that it's taken to this next level or this different space of the pursuit of man-made aesthetic beauty through these natural items right that's uh that's really something special i think so that's the moment then, or that at least that's the, that's yeah. the element that, that caught you is, yeah. and it really fed off of what you'd already been working towards. It sounds like, or, or working with, or con- thinking about, or growing your concepts of while you were at. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I used to make these drawings, these like little sketches that on, you know, I didn't know it at the time, but essentially they're, they're forest slab plantings in sketch form. Right, like that's what a lot of the 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 design that I was working on when I was a student at university was, yeah. So yeah, it's it's it is surely a natural progression of things. Mm. So so you walked into Monsai Inn and and talked with Kato San about studying. What's the what's the progression of walking into Monsai Inn not knowing anything about bonsai? And you're in there to then deciding you're going to approach Kato San about potentially studying at Monsayan. Same day? Was that the same day you walked in and you were like, I got to do this? <laughs> the next day. Hey, can I? Hey, hey, guys. 
uh, so, no, slept, yeah, on, uh, slept on it. It was, it was approximately <laughs> 24 hours later. No, right. uh, actually, um, if you're familiar, I don't know if you, there's a gentleman named Juan Cruz who is from California and um, he was doing a, a bit of a, a little mini uh, stint at Monsan uh, at that time. And this is the very first day I ever walked into Monsan. I, uh, I honestly had no idea that, that there was a thing called the Omeo Bonsai Show, right? I had no, no clue. And um, I was at the museum, the Bonsai Museum, and I had some extra time. So I just started walking around that, that neighborhood. And um, I was uh, talking to my m- my friend on the phone, and I just, like, walked into Bonsai, and it was just like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, holy crap. Man, let me call you back. I'm, I'm going to get into this, right? But anyway, Juan was there, and, and so he said hi. And I said, hey, man, what's going on? And then um, and and he said, I I don't exactly remember the 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 um, conversation, but I said, you know, how do, how does one go about learning about this? Not necessarily being an apprentice or anything like that, but just how how do you, as a, an enthusiast, how would one go about this? Are there classes, you know? Mm-hmm. And uh, he said, oh, well, if you're interested, maybe you could come back and um, you know, like give it help out, give a hand. Um, so that was the very first conversation um, that I ever had about bonsai. And then, you know, and then I just, again, this slow progression, I went back a few times, con- you know, contact Juan uh, via email or something. I was like, hey, can I come on next Saturday or whatever, right? And, um, and then slowly, and then we had, I would go and I would just hang out and um, help out a little bit or just look at stuff. And then, and then it was, the, then I, we spoke with Hirao-san and then Hirao-san uh, called uh, Takehiro and then we sat down with him and and said, "Hey, man, can I can I actually like come and pursue this? I mean, this this was probably this was over like a six month period, right? Gotcha. Of okay. slow hanging out and spending you know a few hours there helping out a bit, picking. Uh, very first time I ever touched a bonsai was a uh, a Kokufu show award winning chojubai that they asked me to take the flowers off of. And I, was like, I had I didn't know that that was like you know what it was, and then I like sticking my hands inside of it." <laughs> and then, I was like, "What are you doing?" And I'm like, "I don't, I don't know. You uh, tell me, whatever." I got, I got nothing. <laughs> I'm picking flowers off. Apparently, I'm, I'm leaning on yeah. you here. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't that what I'm supposed to be doing? Right. You know. So uh, yeah, that's 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 that. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Interesting. So then, so then uh, you uh, had exposure to Kato-san. You had been going there, and then you just decided, yeah, maybe I want to spend more time here. You were wrapping up your English teaching. You were making a transition, or you just decided, I, I don't know how that I, because the way I went about it was uh, so different. Yeah. Well, okay. So it was this was like at the six month period. I had like a, I had signed a contract for a year with the English school, and so about six months in, that's when I first um, visited Monsanto. And so it was like, okay, let's work through this for six months, and then when. And then there was, I mean, it's a te- technical issues of visas and things like that, right? And so when I, um, it took a few months for us to organize what, how it was going to work. But I, when I finished my original contract with the English school, then that's when I transitioned into being a, a full-time deshi. So this was August 2012. And, um, and I continued, because visas are a trick, right? I continued to teach English for the same English company on Monday nights, just once a week for like three hours. And in so doing, I was able to maintain my working visa yeah. as an English teacher. Yeah. And so 
in order to alleviate the concerns of Montaigne and dealing with my my personal, you know, uh, bunka visa, right? My uh, uh, cultural studies visa. We all agreed that it would it's it was worth me leaving on Monday afternoons to maintain that visa, mm-hmm. um, and so that's how I managed to get through that. And then uh, I got married, and so I switched from that initial. English education, teaching, working visas, a working visa, right? It just happened to be in English in the English field. So I switched from a working visa to a spouse visa. And then, uh, then I, so I never had the issue of needing to rely on Montsayan as a, a, a visa guarantor, right? A visa sponsor. I didn't want to put that pressure on them and I didn't want to need to, maybe something about my personality, right? I'm not trying to rely on other people to, to, to help on these. I want to be able to function by myself. So, I mean, and then, you know, you said, well, you got married, so you're relying on your <laughs> wife. Like, it's a little different, right? right? Little the different. long con. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, little does she know it's all just for the visa. <laughs> no, uh, <laughs> so, um, yeah, so then I switched to, I got the spousal visa, and that's how I rocked it through the rest of my, uh, the five years as an apprentice. And at this moment, I have uh, permanent residency, right? I'm still an American citizen, but I have uh, age you can, right? So I'm a permanent resident of Japan. Yeah. Wow. Wow. And, 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 what, was, and what was apprenticing at Monsaiyan like? Because I, I uh, we would go, we would go there, you know, uh, quite a bit. When Mr. Camaro would go to Omiya, sometimes yeah. he would take us as an apprentice of Mr. Camaro. We were not uh, allowed to go to other nurseries or gardens unless he was with us yeah. and and took us. Yeah. And you know, that was a, a nuance of of apprenticing with him. But I but I watched the transition from. You know, Saburo Kato was still alive when I was apprenticing in Japan. He passed away while I was there. Right. What- what years were you an apprentice? Yeah, I was an apprentice from uh, 2004 through 2010. Okay, okay. So, yeah, when he passed away in 2008, right, gotcha. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, what was it like being an apprentice at Montaigne? I mean, in some respects, uh, similar in terms of the grind, uh, I'm sure, as you experienced with... Um, as Kimura said, I mean, there's a lot going on inside of those gardens. And now my experience from, right, I have this degree and this background as a teacher, right? So when I came into it as a, oh, I'm going to be an apprentice, I'm going to be a, a deshi, what I anticipated that being, what that meant, um, was not actually what the reality of it is, <laughs> right? Yeah. It's not the same thing, a teacher and a student versus a, an apprentice and a, a master, right? Mm-hmm. Or you the oyakata, right? Um, so I didn't, I wasn't, I had no idea what I was getting into <laughs> yeah. when I signed up. You can't, you can't or else you wouldn't sign up. That's the whole thing. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I guess that's the thing, right? It's what I calculated it out one time that as an apprentice at Monsanto, we were working something like 90 hours a week. Mm-hmm. And we were fortunate that, not fortunate, uh, we were fortunate that we got three days a month to relax, right? We got three rest days. So I broke it up to that I would work 10 days straight and then take one day off. And then 10 days straight and take one day off. Um, but yeah, so any given week, I mean, it, we, yeah, it's just, it, it, 
we start at seven o'clock, seven thirty in the morning, and you work until the job is done. Mm-hmm. And that was that was really rough. Again, I guess my, like in my personality, not being in control of that was one of the very challenging aspects of being an, an apprentice is you are no longer in control. I mean, you know that, but the, you know the listeners. I mean, I think you and I can have a very deep conversation about the nuances of of these topics that will probably would your average listener doesn't have the background to to quite grasp. But I'll try my best to to put this in in terms that that people um, might might appreciate. There is yeah, <laughs> you have no you are no longer your a sovereign individual, right? Yeah. You have you live at the leisure of your teacher yeah. and and, um, and that was, yeah, that was really hard. And I never understood why, but it is so much a trial by fire, right? Because as a, as a professional, if you can't, like, I'm not, I work more now than I worked then. Yeah. You know, I, I went to bed at two o'clock last night. I woke up at five, right? This is like a normal day. Yeah. I, I work so much so the apprenticeship in many ways that's the easy part right you're not in control you don't have, you don't, you're not in control so you don't have anything to worry about right uh but man is it hard you know it's a it's mentally it's exhausting especially for people like you and i right uh when i first showed up in japan i pretty much knew how to say thanks to queen domo arigato mr roboto right I, I i there was no plan to come over here so i didn't I didn't prep, you know, and and so when I showed up at Monsanto, <laughs> I had no Japanese skill whatsoever. Uh, fortunately for me, you know, Hirasan was working at Monsanto uh, at the time. He wasn't; he was, he was as a professional, but uh, he speaks some fairly decent uh, English, and and you know, Katsusan also, um, if need be, he can. Put some words to you. I mean, yeah, he's, he understands it, you know. So anyway, so it, but that that adds another layer of of confusion and and stress onto it, right? When when like how how much of any given conversation is left in the air when you don't understand the nuances of what's being said around you, right? So when I was st- when I was first starting there, or you know, for years into it. Um, my ears couldn't work so i had to use my eyes mm. and i had to just use the the common sense of situational understanding to attempt to be as useful as i could be in that situation you know but it's like what what's the phrase right you, you can't teach a drowning man how to swim so in the in the moment of frenzied work is not the time to say, "Hey, sit, wait a second. Can you uh, can you repeat that? Let me go grab my notebook. Let me write that down." Right. <laughs> right. So it's just like, nah, man. We we got work to do. Let's go. Um, so yeah, man. How many? Let me ask you a question. How many times did you cry during your apprenticeship? Oh man, uh, huh. never. Ryan would never cry. I don't have a tear in my eye. <laughs> uh, twice. Twice. Yeah, twice there were there there were two times two times that i was taken to the point of breaking i mean i felt like i felt like i was gonna you know 
breakdown quite quite a bit, whether it was physically, emotionally, mentally, whatever it was, because you're just under a lot of stress and typically <laughs> typically sleep deprived. Uh, but there were two times that I thought about quitting and I was taken really to the brink of my level of tolerance, you know, of because it's so it's so crazy to the Western mind what you're trying to integrate into and what you're trying to understand. Not only for me, you know, I studied Japanese for a year before I went. It didn't mean anything. The best thing that it gave me was grammar and, and, and sentence structure to build on. But I, for two years, I didn't understand what anybody was saying to me. You know, like, just like you, I actually think that was the most valuable part was learning to learn through observation, which is not, yeah. that's not the way that, that Western education is taught in schools. Teacher stands up there, teaches you what you need to know. You go home and you do practice it. And that's like, you know, so learning how to learn again was the first two years of my apprenticeship. Um, but then once I knew what people were yeah. saying, the cultural, the cultural component wow. of being a deshi is, yeah. and having an oyakata and senpai and uh, okyakusan, the customers, like the way that you interact through the social hierarchy as really more or less equivalent to a dog as a deshi, you know, like it's, it's always yeah. looking yeah, up man. at everybody. Like that was more, far more complex and the layers upon layers it's like an onion you know yeah um, and the space you know like you saying like the 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 things of the conversation left hanging in the air but the thing about japanese manner and and, and thought process of communication is you don't say what you think it's all interpretation and nuanced understanding of all of the lines between the notes or the breaths between yeah. the spoken word so if you don't even understand the word then you're not picking up the nuances between yeah. those words and you're not picking up the cultural implications of what's being said and it becomes it becomes uh just a feast of a variety of ways to mess up and and yeah. really be a challenging and ultimately ki kind of a weight on your oyakata and your senpai which really bothered me because i you know i i also don't like being uh in a position where i'm not necessarily in control of my own destiny but i certainly don't mm -hmm. feeling like i don't like feeling like i'm not good enough uh, or that I don't belong. And in Japan, mm -hmm. that was the feeling that I carried with me for, you know, a majority of my apprenticeship. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that, that's, uh, that's a, a tricky part of, of the Japanese culture, you know, I mean, language and culture and history, I mean, these are all tied together and, and, you know, un unfortunately we are all, we are foreigner, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. and there is as much as, as you or I, and if I may, as much as I am really attempting to, to push past that. And it's always there, isn't it? Yeah. It's, I mean, it's never, it's never going away. Yeah. Know? That's why I wanted, My, Shogunai. this is what Shogunai for sure. But this is why I wanted to talk to you because it's like, you know, even Japanese apprentices, would talk about once you're out from the protective wing, you know, more or less of, of, of your oyakata or your master, the, 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 the Japanese bonsai world can be pretty unkind, uh, because it is a very mm -hmm. dog, it's a very dog eat dog, um, world. There's a limited um, amount of support and patronage. And there's a lot of people that are vying for, that ability to make a living doing bonsai and 
the protective mechanism when you're an apprentice can be a false sense of confidence that you have the skills or the ability or the understanding to succeed because of the your master really being that that protective blanket over you and and you chose you you are out from that protection but then you chose to engage with shark infested waters as a foreigner and it's just like wow adam adam jones tell tell me about this because i've talked to bjorn about it uh you know to a limited degree i thought maybe he might be interested or thinking about staying in japan and and um you know, my my takeaway from that conversation is that he recognized that it was a tough go, you know, and I recognized it was a tough go. So, but, but, um, yeah, so you, you know it's enough to know go. it was a tough yeah. go. Yeah, 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 did you right. miss a memo or what happened there? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, man. Well, you know, all right, if, to kind of wrap out the, the ideas of being a deshi, right? You, you're, when you're, studying what are you studying you're studying techniques right you're studying the pursuit of the creation theoretically anyway the creation of bonsai so maybe you're studying the horticulture aspects you're studying the 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 technical aspects of um proper wire application and this kind of thing you're studying the techniques of species specific whatever whatever you might be studying um and by studying i literally only mean you are learning by helping your teacher run his garden right but you're studying those aspects of it maybe you're you're learning about design uh or display and things like that what you are certainly not privy to at all is the business side of things as a, as a student as an apprentice right. as an apprentice right so there's this this huge unknown aspect that is business and i mean you could kind of a, at a a high enough elevation of a, of a frame of reference, you could imagine that as two two separate, you know, the Venn diagram of being a bonsai professional. You have the the gijitsu, the techniques of making and cultivating and working with the trees and the the aesthetic aspects of what bonsai is, and then you have the money. How does that work? How does the you know, I mean, this is the same for you, for, for anyone in the world, anyone that's going to pursue this as a, 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 a way of feeding their family, right? You ultimately, you have to concern yourself with, with money. How does the business side of things work? Um, what are you, are you selling items? Are you selling time? Are you selling information, right? Or what are you, what are you doing? Uh, but those aspects of it are not, at least not at Monsanto, what that not spoken about right so many times i would ask uh my teacher hey, how, how much is this pot how much is this pot how much is this tree and he, his answer would be like it's expensive <laughs> like yeah yeah but can you, 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 you want to help me here like i'm not trying to buy it i just want i'm trying to learn about it you right. know uh so so then it's like yeah you know you get out on, on your own and and the, and the training wheels come off and not only did the training wheels come off I, they come off on both of those realms, right? The the cultivation of bonsai, and then then you're like, hey, now 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 you gotta like earn money here, man. Mm-hmm. You know, what do you do? Um, and and then I think you know, and then nested inside of both of those, now you can talk about the the the, the space in which I am pursuing this, a i.e. Japan, right? What is that 
cultural aspect? What is that interpersonal societal issue of the bonsai world of, of, of Japan, right? How does that, the inner interpersonal relationships I have with people building those connections, et cetera, et cetera. But fundamentally, uh, when I, you know, came out on my own, then it's like, okay, I got to build a garden. So what does that mean? Okay. I have to like, you know, like put some benches up and stuff and I need like a workroom. Okay. Now I have a workroom. Now what do I do? Oh, maybe I should like, you know, not trying to make some bonsai, right? I should like design some stuff. I should style some things. Okay. Now what do I do? Oh, I haven't made any money in six months and I don't have any savings left. So I should probably figure out how to do that too. Right. So it's, it's, it's this, my life has been, and it's, I, I love it. I'm super excited by it. I, I wouldn't ask for anything else. My life has been this never-ending troubleshooting adventure. What do I do now? How do I do this? What do I do? Where's, you know, what's the next move? What's the next move? Because there's no one, there's no one telling me how to do this. There's no one, there is no path that, for which I am following. I am the path. I, I'm a ma- I imagine that in the future, there will be other Westerners living and working in Japan. I can't believe that I'm the only one that will ever be, right? I'm the first, but I'm not, I'm sh- I don't assume that I will be the only. Um, but I am the first, and so I am blazing this trail, as it were, right? Yeah. This un- and, you know, so I'm trying to figure it out as I go. And I... <laughs> Some days are better than others, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But, but uh, so how, how do you, because like I worked through all of this and you're right, you got to figure all this out. If you're going to do bonsai as a career, no matter where you live in the world, you got to figure it out. Um, but I got to work all of this out, at least in the United States, which I, I, I think there's an argument to be made. Like when I came back to the United States, I was like, I was caught in international waters of like my mm. mind, spirit, because like I had tried so hard to integrate into uh, as a Deshi and Mr. Kimura's garden. I didn't want there to be a weak link in the chain. Uh, so, mm-hmm. you know, like I really tried hard language wise, cultural wise. I tried to be a good senpai. I tried to be a good kohai. I tried to be a good Deshi. Um, and so then when I came back to the United States, like the culture shock was, was even worse than when I went to Japan coming back and I would, I had like extricated yeah. myself from American culture for six years and a pretty pivotal point of change when the cell phone went from like a flip phone to smartphones and like right. we were in the trough of a recession and then it was like, how do I make a living when everybody's already broke? And it was really tough, yeah. but, but I, I, I can't imagine trying to get my feet underneath me in Japan in an established because you're talking about established bonsai community. You're talking about a very entrenched way of thinking and doing very deep personal relationships. I mean, generations in these facilities. And then all of a sudden, here's Adam Jones. And he's like, all right, I'm going to do this too. And, and so, like, how, how, do you ma- how do you make it work? Like, what, what, do, what, is your, what is your bonsai practice like in Japan? Is that too much? Am I am I am I asking too much? I don't want to put you on the spot. Uh, no, I mean it's 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 so complicated, you know, because I don't know that you can I don't know that you can answer that question in one one sentence, you know. I mean it's it's because you know I could say the same thing to you, Ryan. What is your bonsai practice in America? Oh, I can buy I can I could break it down for you super succinctly. I mean, I I didn't want to commoditize 
Uh, I didn't want to commoditize, you know, really rare one-off trees. Uh, and I watched Japan sell its bonsai culture. And so uh, I decided to commoditize education and empower people through education. Yeah. You know, like that's my model. Uh, we yeah. started the platform. I teach on site. Sure, we sell trees. Yeah, we sell pots. But honestly, education was always the thing I felt best and most sustainable. I felt like it was it was a positive thing through and through to, 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 yeah. to, to teach and to empower people with knowledge. That, that was my model. It continues to be my model. Yeah, for sure. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, and that's an interesting thing. I've often wondered about, you know, did I make, uh, did I make a mistake, but it's like, you know, to use a different analogy, right? You go to France and you study French cooking and then you, you take that information and you take it back to a, uh, an area where they don't have it. And so you have the, a, a novelty and you have a, um, a customer base that is interesting and interested in something they cannot get elsewhere. Mm -hmm. Right. So it's like, you take this, you go to typically traditionally, traditionally, the model has been for foreigners to come to Japan, study some stuff and then bring that information back. I mean, it's not just bonsai, but for everything, right. It's like you get sushi restaurants and things and French cuisine all over the world. Right. Not just in France and sushi is not just in Japan, but so then it's like, did I make this? I've, I've done this backwards, haven't I? I've, I've come to Japan and I've studied and now I'm staying, you know, now I, now I work as a professional here. Yeah. I mean, but I, I guess maybe I'm hesitant to answer the question because I don't actually, I don't know, man, you know, <laughs> it's like, mm -hmm. I, I, I am, I am attempting to, I have to, right. I'm a professional in Japan. So I am a Japanese professional. Meaning that I the the environment for, in which I work is Japanese bonsai. Yeah. So am I following the the cultural style such that I have uh, you know a um, a stable of of wealthy patrons that who of Japanese patrons that I I tend to their trees for them mm -hmm. or am I following a, a western idea where i'm going to pursue education and teaching these techniques am i you know following let's call it the chinese approach where i'm just moving product mm -hmm. out of the country and you know the answer is yes mm -hmm. i'm doing all of that yeah you know Makes we sense. we have i have i have local local patrons whose work whose trees i i work on and i have um, uh, a thriving export business, and I uh, have, you know, it, it, it's a, a much smaller scale, but I've got the Patreon thing going on where I put up some videos. I haven't recently, but um, I don't. I, little side note: I have a uh, a baby, and for the past like year, I've been dealing with baby, so I've uh, not been doing the the videos as as of yet. In fact, actually, today is his one year birthday. Oh, no kidding. Hey, happy papa. Yeah. Happy papa. Yeah, right. yeah, yeah. Good for you. So we're going to do this. My, my in-laws are coming this afternoon, and it's Friday here, right? So tomorrow, that's tomorrow. We're going to do the whole birthday thing on the weekend. Um, but yeah, you know, so it's like uh, to pursue those things. But I, t I will tell you this, though. This is, is something that I deal with regularly. It's like I've got my Japanese customers who are 70, 80 years old, who have been pursuing bonsai as a pastime for literally longer than I've been alive. Yeah. So then it's like, oh, who am I to like, you know, 
hey, let me show you this thing. Oh, you know, right. This like this, you know. And so this that's a real trick, right? And and I at a certain point, okay. So I when I I remember I looked at the 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 chop of a pot once, the the rock on on the back of a pot, and and I did, I couldn't read it, and I gave it to my my kohai, um, a Japanese kid. And I said, can you read this? And he said, no, I can't read it. So then I gave it to uh, this gentleman named Ishikawa-san, who was a, a shokunin at Monsei. And um, he's been uh, doing bonsai for a long time. But anyway, I gave it to him. And I said, well, well, can you read this? And he, he looked at it. And he's like a walking encyclopedia, right? And he's like, I don't know what that is. And it hit me. And I thought, OK, so you, you can't know everything. Now, I was always carrying this weight. Like, I don't know how to read this and I don't know everything because I'm a foreigner and there's this limit of my ability to understand something because I can't you know language is situational if you don't know if you're not familiar with the language in the situation you're not going to be able to interact in that situation so I always felt like it was pressure on me that I'm not good enough I'm failing at this because I don't know everything and then in that moment I re realized okay these dudes don't know everything either. Mm. This is this is a Japanese man who's in his sixties, and he doesn't know this this chop. So it's okay, right? So I have to constantly be reminding myself that, and I have to accept the fact that it's okay that I don't know everything. It's okay that these old dudes have been pursuing bonsai as a pastime for longer than I'm alive. That doesn't matter. I have a skill set that they don't. And so I can provide them with service. Yeah. Right. But, you know, I, I mean, it, yeah, <laughs> working in Japan, man, it's, it's a, it's a trip. It's, it really is. And, and you, back to the, you, you know, you make mistakes all the time. I make mistakes all the time. I, I, um, I can say that for the most part, the people, the Japanese professionals in the rest of the onsite industry here in japan they know me um and they they know that i'm well they're willing to uh forgive my my small missteps and i appreciate that of them um but uh, you know I, i'm i'm also in there i'm you know i'm trying to i'm trying to get shit done you know I'm trying to yeah. I'm trying to make moves right yeah Scared money don't make none there you go there you go <laughs> so I have a question yeah, for you, and I it, think this ties into a little bit about your potential bonsai practice and being a Westerner in in Japan. And I watched I watched some of your videos, and you were styling mm -hmm. a Japanese black pine, and it was kind of a literati bunjin style tree. Oh, right, right. And mm -hmm. uh, you made a comment in the video that you know if you were kind of left to your own devices on that tree, and I believe that was back at, at Montsayam where you were working on that that particular day. Mm -hmm that you said you would have preferred to remove another four or five branches, something like that, and kind of yeah. provide a potential different aesthetic, you know, and you, your comment was something like, you know, but for this tree to kind of exist in the Japanese market and be able to have mm. an opportunity mm -hmm. for resale, this is kind of what it's going to look like. And of course it's still very beautiful. And that's how a lot of us were drawn to bonsai initially, but I'm curious yeah. hearing uh, what you would say about that kind of tying into your, um, you know, your, your practice as a professional and are you always kind of doing things kind of within more of that Japanese model? Are you exploring kind of some of your own ideas and what are some, you know, successes or differences in your, 
you know, w- within yeah. that. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, I mean, now, now this, be- this becomes maybe let it, let us transition away from the technical issues of businesses and, and such and what it is to be a, a, a Deshi, but perhaps we can, can delve back, you know, deeper into to these kind of issues, the aesthetic concerns of the pursuit of bonsai, right? The practice of it. Uh, yeah, man. I mean, I think that when when you're talking about the designs of trees, right? It, that is a question. Do I because I am I sit on this this edge between wanting to pursue things that I see as I see fit but then feeling this pressure that I have to conform to this society, the industry of which I am a part. Right. And I, I've only, I'm, I've been doing this for three years as a, as on my own, as a professional myself. So I'm, I'm still quite young at this. Right. And, and so I think that there is still this consideration. Why am I styling this tree? What am I, as you say, right. What am I trying to accomplish here? Right. If I'm strong, if I am styling this tree, it depends on for what reason, right? But I mean, I think you could say that about, you know, um, am I styling this tree to go into an exhibition? Am I styling this tree to to continue its growth? Am I doing a fun, a, you know, a fundamental thing or, or, or whatever? I can't remember what you call them, but the, you know, the 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 main branches of it versus the tertiary stuff. Like, what what are we uh, what are we trying to accomplish? And so, of course, surely those ideas are always in the back of your head. So, you know, if I'm left to my own devices, if I am truly free to pursue a tree, it's going to be a tree that I have known that I expect to keep at my garden for and for the foreseeable future. Mm-hmm. And then I am free to let go of those constraints. Oh, am I, am I, I'm not styling this for a customer. I'm not styling this to accomplish a goal. I'm styling this because I want to express some idea i i see this tree i find this beauty and i have this moment and so i want to try to push that moment right but i mean no matter what you you always are going to have some constraints on what you're doing i, I don't think that you're i mean maybe my mind might change later but i don't think you're ever truly free to style stuff as you see fit if you're inside of the context of uh of a culture, you know, I mean, if there, you know, you know what I'm trying to say, there's like yeah. a meaning to it, right? Well, there's a, there's a, there's a, there's a cultural weight in the, in the, in the practice that you've engaged in, in Japan. There's yeah. a, there's a cultural weight. There's a, there's a, and, and that doesn't mean that that has to be suffocating. I mean, I, I, no, think, no, no. I think, yeah, I, I agree. think Masashi Harao's broke out of that box yeah. in a, in a yeah. Mon- yeah. monstrous way, you know, but like also I know there's resistance to that and, um, and there, I think, is a very strong, oh, at least what I felt or what I observed, you know, or thought that I uh, had developed some sort of understanding of is there is a definite critical eye to exploration of creativity and outside of the box bonsai creation in Japan because there is a cultural weight and expected form of conduct. And it really, it really took, I mean, Mr. Camaro was criticized for a long time in the beginning of his career, you know, and, and there's no doubt the work that he has done and the evolution of form that he's, you know, really, whether he pioneered it or whether he more broadly uh, expressed it to a larger community in, in a uh, prolific body of work, like, 
there was resistance to that. So like then yeah. being a foreigner inside of that and having this freedom to like explore your own ideas and particularly because you're you're trained in art now like this is what's even blowing my mind more is like you're you are taught to explore and ask questions and answer through you know what you create that's like the mentality Mm -hmm. especially coming from uh, 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 such a incredible you know institution like alfred that that i'm just like the the layers (laughs) it's almost like it's almost becoming a little bit like it's almost becoming a little bit even too complex to like figure out what I want to ask you because it's just I like, know, right? gosh, dog, man, you are so really, much. you're so really deep in on. the, this is like wormholes folding time, trying to understand the cultural aesthetic conund- sure. conundrum. I mean, you're, it's a conundrum and that's not to say it's negative. I'm sure this is causing you or providing a tremendous amount of personal opportunity for growth and to evolve you know, whatever you thought you were going to become, I, I, I am sure that what you are is not what you thought, right? When you were five years old, like I'm going to make pizza or yeah. be the president or an yeah, astronaut yeah. or something. You know, it's funny. When I, when my parents first found out that I, well, when, when my parents were telling our family friends that I was studying bonsai in Japan, everyone's response was, of course he is. <laughs> so it's like, <laughs> okay. All right. <laughs> nice. So, you know, I think that, um, as you said, it, it, there requ- it, is, it requires a prolific body of work before you can see, you know, if you have one thing, it's a thing. Mm-hmm. If you have 50 things, it becomes a pattern. And so me f- still young in my pursuit as a professional, I can't claim that I have enough work under my belt to, to describe some kind of pattern or some kind of personalized style of work. Now I have ideas and I have things that I, aesthetics that I find personally more pleasing than others, but um, the inherent vice of working with a living medium like bonsai is it takes time to develop. You know, mm-hmm. a lot of people have this misconception when they come a lot of like uh, new, new visitors to the garden. Uh, they look at the trees and they assume that I have styled all of them. And in reality, it's like I've styled very few of the trees that I have at my at my garden right now. I don't know. I have maybe 500 trees or something. And uh, I've styled just a, a, only a few percent of them. Because these things, they, as you know, they take time. If you work on a tree and you style it, it has to go through multiple years of growth and development before you could truly say this is a refined piece that is the vision I had when I began. Mm-hmm. and and um you know and so yeah that that's a fun what i'm excited about in terms of or the the practice the pursuit of bonsai is is that how can i take these uh the trees that i have access to and how can i manipulate them and how can i pursue them through you know my artist's mark as it were but again i and i agree with that there is this way to say well you know, am I, are we shokunin, right? Or am I doing this thing? What is the, what is the, the difference between the value of the traditional versus the pursuit of the avant-garde, mm-hmm. right? My, one of the, the professionals that worked with me day on a daily basis, again, this gentleman, Ishikawa-san, 
he always described his his desire was to be the unknown hand his desire was to to do work on trees that 50 years from now someone would look at and say i don't know who did that but man was that nice Mm. you know you could see the the results of his work in the future and he was he didn't he wasn't interested to pursue the, the the name right but he was interested in pursuing the quality and i remember having a conversation with him uh where i was very hesitant to to cut off a branch and i said you know but this branch is very old who am i i don't know what i'm doing who am i to cut off this branch that's been that's taken this tree 20 years to grow right or taking this tree 15 years to grow and and it took me a while to um to build the confidence to know that those kind of decisions can be made and and that it took a while to build the confidence in my aesthetic understandings to know that it's the right thing to do to cut off that branch um you know because there's there's some someone you know it, there's a humbleness that you have to pursue when you pursue bonsai surely you can appreciate the that that je ne sais quoi of the of the tree that living essence that makes a bonsai so spectacular is the fact that it's alive and if we manipulate them and we destroy that you know we can we can take something that is that deserves to be revered and we can kill it if we don't we can mangle it, right? We can aesthetically, we can destroy it if we don't know what we're doing. Mm-hmm. And, and so, um, you know, and so then, then there, I think there is this, this, there's an, if you have that in, if you keep that in mind, then there is this, maybe it op- sheds some light on why there is one part of why there is this, this hold on the traditional shape, on the traditional design, why there is this, hesitancy to radically change old and mature trees. And in Japan, when the vast, vast majority of the material I have access to is seriously old material, yeah, right. Then myself and uh, everybody else, you know, you, you, you do, there is a potential to get stuck in this repetitive, just maintain the status quo. Yeah. Um, but I, I am. So one of the points I, I was interested to, to speak to you about Ryan is, is um, when you start, when I like, you describe the, the Japanese aesthetic to, to think, feel like, Oh, you've got these very um, tortured and mangled and old, trunks and yet they are supporting this vivid and lush and youthful full foliage mass Mm -hmm. and what what's the deal there right why why do you why do you have that and and um it is interesting because i have styled trees I've pushed myself to style trees and then have you know the way i want would like to and then I've had my teacher look at them and say, it, you made it look too young. And not young as like the age of the tree, but young in its terms of its bonsai development as a, as a development as a bonsai, its maturity as a, a cultivated tree, right? And so the m- many kind of a, a basic idea would be that, that 
if Japanese bonsai were to be styled and cut down to as thin as many of the branch pads that I see in your work, mm. a lot of people would think that's a step in the wrong direction for the tree. You've taken that tree and you've, 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 um, you took it back too far, right? You made it too, you look too young. And, and I think that there is this, this difference of understanding the, the visual age and maturity of a tree as a, as a tree, right? The textures involved, what's called, um, versus the age of it as it's developed and cultivated as a, as a bonsai. Does that make sense? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I think these are, I think these, these are the deeper nuances, um, you know, and, I, and, and in asking the question of you have this vivid, youthful canopy on this tortured trunk, uh, but it took 90 years to get that canopy to have the kind of mochikomi in the in the branching and the pad formation and everything it's like and there is a value in that and there there is a, mm. a a monetary value in that there is a there is an aesthetic value in that there is a cultural value in that this is the you know and these are the things of being an apprentice like working on kokfu winning trees like you you know taking the flowers off of kokfu winning chojubai and you you had no idea you know i i remember i wired a um a really expensive coconut white pine in my first year. And I, and then Mr. Kamara told me afterwards what it was worth. And I was like, you know, happy. I didn't know that it was that significant of a tree. Cause I would have <laughs> literally not been able to like, I would have been petrified, but, yeah. but over the course of time handling Kokfu material, it's going to win it. That's in the, you know, at least in the running or conversation to be a prize winning tree versus a tree that is on the cusp of getting into the Kokfu versus a tree that is being sold to a client versus a tree that has a history and you're taking a lighter touch and respecting the number of hands that have touched that and the time that has passed. You know, that's a lot of weight and that's a lot of that aspect of bonsai culture does not exist in the Western world. So to come yeah, back sure. here and be like, we're going to talk about all these things that there is absolutely not even an example of to refer to for somebody to even yeah. begin. And you're not underneath, you're not underneath that history and, and, and the cultural implications that would value those things and the, and the dynamic in Western culture and what is considered good, bad, and different, et cetera, is so different that I've always looked at it as like the Western axes of thought and behavior and at least the Japanese, because quantifying it as the Eastern doesn't make sense, right? Uh, Japanese mm. culture is, is very, has become very unique unto itself. They never intersect, in my mind. They never intersect. They might, they might come close at points in their trajectory through... Uh, this three-dimensional space, but I don't see them I intersecting, and so it's like I was really happy. I was really happy to to to. It was at first very uncomfortable to have the freedom to to literally <clears throat> do whatever I wanted to do. You know, I mean, like I'm, I'm, the backbone of uh, of Mirai is is untouched trees. It's it's raw. It's raw mm -hmm. Yamadori. Yeah. You know, and like in working this over 10, 12 years the initial work that I did, I couldn't do right now. And the work that I'm doing right now, I couldn't have done then. And that's part of the narrative arc and journey uh, of, of, you know, working day in, day out. But I think like, I don't, I wouldn't want to do some of those things or I wouldn't, I, I, 
I was still carrying the weight of my Japanese uh, education and a lot of the pressures mm -hmm. of being under the wing of Mr. Kimura and the expectations and a lot of his expectations and that work. And I look at some of that work and I'm like, that's really, that's really, that, that's really incredible. You know, I couldn't do that now. And that was incredible work carrying all of that, carrying all of that consideration that I've sort of slowly shed you know it becomes like a dream mm -hmm. and f gets foggy and then you don't necessarily remember it like speaking with you about it is really bringing back a lot of the memories of just how powerful and potent the presence of that long-standing culture is and those mm -hmm. trees that have had that investment of time for such a prolonged period of time how much that matters in the considerations but also you know from the western mentality of how constricting that is on on the freedom of creativity and, or at least how much it necessitates a very mature and egoless approach to the pursuit of bonsai because you are acquiescing and you are um, at the service of the tree in that, in that cultural context, you know, and that's not to say that you're not at the service of the tree in Western bonsai. Certainly the goal is to have the tree thrive from from any you know yeah. operation but but i i hear i hear what you're saying and it's really interesting to have you put it into words being being where you're at because um because you're in it right now and you're feeling it and having you describe it in the english language is not something that i've had a, a conversation about ever no, uh, so no, it's pretty, no. pretty 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 radical i appreciate you uh you know putting words to the ideas yeah, yeah, cool. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, just this is only a. I deal with this every day. You know, I mean, these these kind of unanswerable. You we describe it as weight, right? But it is. It is a weight in these these questions. Like, what am I doing, and how am I doing it, and what? Where do you draw this balance between the various aspects of what we're doing, right? Whether it be the, the cultural aspects, the historical aspects, the financial aspects, mm -hmm. you know, and, and the societal aspects, the community aspects of it, right? Um, but, you know, I, I am excited to work on these trees because I feel like there is so much, I'm so much potential to take Japanese bonsai is at a moment of a pivotal moment. Mm. Jap Japan is at a, a pivotal moment. You know, whatever you might say that m would sound derogatory about Japanese bonsai, right? There are a few customers, they're all, everybody's 900 years old. Then you could say that about Japan as a, as a, an entire, country right there are like four babies in this whole place and i happen to have one of them, you know <laughs> right right <laughs> and everybody lives in tokyo or osaka so the idea of having a garden a yard to put a tree in what who who has a, a yard anymore if you have a, a house you have space for your car and your bicycle and where you're going to hang up your laundry right you don't have a yard as as really anyone would know so it was like where are you going to put your trees if you so japanese bonsai it's not it's not to speak poorly of japanese bonsai as if there was some 
mistakes made or something like that. It's just like, these are the inherent vices of, of Japan and the inherent vices of the world right now. And, and in as in such, there is, I feel there is huge potential to be a part of the transition into the next stage of Japanese bonsai. Right. Mm -hmm. uh, and in the Japanese, the future of Japanese bonsai necessarily must be world bonsai right these are the same thing you know i mean and we i say that we're at a transitional point because you know kunio kobayashi's in his 80s masayuki kumara-san is in his 80s mm -hmm. these these men that we look at suzuki shinji-san's like 65 right with these men that we look at as the the highest quality craftsmen the most world-renowned craftsmen of of japanese bonsai are you know past their prime and i love them they're all wonderful people and it's not i'm not saying that to be to be rude or anything but let's be quite honest they're old they, their their time was in the bubble their time was in the 80s and the 90s yeah. and now it's this is a different time and so in order for us to move into the future we i feel like we we necessarily must make changes it's not enough the world shifts. It's not enough to continue just simply to keep reiterating the same traditional forms and the same traditional ideas. There has to be movement forward. And as, as I can, I am very excited to be a part of that. I mean, you know, and this might go back to the original question, like, why, why the hell did I decide to do this in Japan? <laughs> yeah, <right. laughs> but there... I believe that I can offer this unique dichotomy between the Western world, the Western education, Western aesthetics, Western mindset, mm. and the Japanese experience, the Japanese um, to exist in Japan as without a Japanese mindset, to exist here and bridge those two worlds. What potential can be pursued aesthetically there? Right, that's exciting. Mm -hmm. That's really exciting for me. And because I have access to these beautifully refined, old, mature trees, you know, I'm not building from scratch. There's one night I was working on a on a tree. This was I used to, when I was an apprentice. Right during the day, I would do whatever I was being told to do. But then, probably from my uh, my second year on, I would stay after after hours and practice wiring and practice styling stuff and early on in that adventure um i was just manhandling this red pine and there's this bunjin thing and i was i don't know i was making a mess of it and uh and you know my my teacher walked through the the workshop and he just looked at me and he said you know he said in english adam it's not a painting and then he walked out and i I looked at the tree and I thought, huh. So, but that, that's always stuck with me. Obviously it stuck with me enough that I'm telling you now it, these bonsai are not blank canvases. Mm -hmm. They necessarily bring to us restraints and those restraints, there's beauty in those restraints. There's potential in those restraints. It's a push off. It's something to push back against. If you, if I give you a, uh, a canvas, a white canvas or a blank piece of paper and say, go for it. You do whatever you want, right? This is the, the beauty of, you know, Salvador Dali, right? 
surrealism doesn't exist in, in sculpture or if it does it's poor because you can do things on two dimensions you can represent two dimensions or you can represent three-dimensional spaces in two that have potential that cannot be done in real life mm-hmm. but the limitations of the material that are bonsai offer us a, a, a pushback to say okay i want to do this what is this tree telling me where can i pursue where can i push what how can i it's a dance and so the potential I, that i'm excited about in my pursuit of bonsai as a an artistic adventure is to be able to have these mature trees that carry so much residue of life as my pushback. So maybe there is something special that be, can be created. I mean, you know, you pursue with, with the Yamadori, those Yamadori, they carry an age that is unfakeable. And that I'm sure is what you're, or part of what you're responding to when you design trees. And in that same way, the age that, that is cultivated in the Japanese, in the bonsai of Japan, it doesn't have that rawness of the material that you're working with, but it does have an age to it. It's a different age, but it has something there to push back on, to inform my, my, um, my decisions and my approach, what I see in the trees, the ideas that I have, those, those, as it was, as it's called, the, the charming points of mm-hmm. the trees. You know, how do you, how do you identify those, and where can you identify them? And I, I believe that my op- my ability to look at these trees with my background, the the cultural understandings that I bring to it, what I was, you know, the, the art background and stuff. Um, I would like to think that when I have a few more years under my belt and I have a larger body of work that I can say are, is my work, I would like to think that there's something there that would be, I hope that there will be something there that, that's unique um, and hitherto unknown because I am this bridge between the two worlds. Yeah. You're like, uh, you're, you're like, you've got to be like the most elastic, you've got to be like the most elastic mind that I've met in the bonsai world because you're, you're traveling on this trajectory of the inherent natural narrative arc of being a human being. You know, you could say as a Westerner, you might be inspired to make these moves that, you know, it's not a painting, Adam, or... Um, making these moves where you made the tree look younger, right? So those are mm-hmm. like, you could say that's a sign of being a Westerner and not appreciating those things. You could say that's a sign of being young and not appreciating those things. Well, being a Westerner and the mentality there and youth and the natural trajectory of of the narrative arc of somebody evolving in their experience in life, their aesthetic sensibilities and and then your technical capacity to execute those aesthetics. All, all of these are fingers on these, like, you know, different planes, uh, however you choose to conceptualize the journey. But, like, to be the bridge between the cultural components uh, that are already sort of traveling in their own directions between Japan and, 
growing up in the United States and then trying to walk this line of maturing yourself as an individual while you're managing that, uh, being that bridge and trying to understand and figure that out, the complexity of that, the complexity of that dynamic is really, is really uh, hitting me pretty hard as we're talking because, um, you know, like, being an apprentice to Mr. Kimura, it felt like, I don't know, have you ever read the book Shogun? I don't think so, no. Oh, okay. All right. Well, the thing that struck me about Shogun, somebody said you should read this before you go to Japan. I'm glad they, I'm glad that they suggested it. It's a, it's a, it's a great book. Um, the thing that struck me, you know, when you, you have a daimyo telling their most faithful servant to commit seppuku, you know, is like, I just couldn't quite get there. Like, what? It, what is that all about? And then, I think watching the professionals interact in the Japanese bonsai world and recognizing that they're all interacting to to drive forward this sort of singular artist statement, as Michael Hagedorn would suggest. Watching, you know, watching professionals band together to help uh, uh, professionals in need in the Japanese bonsai community, but then turn around and in a in a in a second gesture try to undercut them in business, steal a client, etc. You know, like that mental warfare, not saying what is actually real, but having to having to deduce the intention or the correct gesture, etc. Like that that was really cha- that was really challenging. Uh and so it's, it, it it is it is complex to think in that system of trying to then work all of these things out for yourself as a as a bonsai practitioner i i'm 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 kind of marveling at that challenge uh but clearly that's what appeals to you about it i mean it sounds to me like you're you kind of seek these things out so like you know like finds like here you are and like i i really did want to just have a chance to talk to you and get to know why did you take this on and it's starting to make more sense to me in the minimal amount of time that we've spent together that that you really feed off of that challenge it seems like like you like engaging in that um in that gray because that's gray that's gray territory right there that's about as as definitively gray and as far from black or white as you can get where you're at man that's like rock yeah. and roll <laughs> <laughs> yeah man yeah it's it's pretty intense you know i mean yeah it's a it's a wild thing and and I would say, you know, you mentioned it, so I'll, 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 maybe this is a little bit of a shift, but that singular artist statement of uh, Michael Hagedorn's comment, you know, it's a, a very interesting idea. And, and, and for, since I ever first heard that, that idea, I've thought about it and I, I, I don't know, I'm not sure that I could see anyone in the world operating outside of that singular artist statement and what i mean by that is that there is something to be there's a limit to the material that we work with yeah right Mm -hmm. they're trees and and as back to that it's not a painting thing right it's like you you can't do you can't push uh trees to do things that they're not going to want to do and and then if you are pursuing these species specific growth patterns and such like that, right? Because, all right. So if we think about this traditional ideas of Japanese bonsai, and we say that, that um, the pursuit 
what makes a black pine the highest quality black pine? Well, it's, it's that specific tree judged against this theoretical essence of a black pine, right? It's that theoretical juniper based judged against this, or it's the actual juniper judged against the theoretical perfect essence of a juniper, right? Mm -hmm. So if those are the, the ideas that we have and, and we have these different, and you know, a maple is going to grow like a maple and a, and therefore that's how you derive this theoretical best maple that things are then compared against. Right. So it is the natural growth patterns and natural habits of different species that that we are that that is the the fundamental starting point the core of of the aesthetics that we're pursuing and so if we you you know you describe it as you want to 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 show talk about miniature and nature and and um you know the the specific elements of you know the alpine versus the the coastal versus whatever well if those are these these s these these sites that are pushing against these natural growth patterns of these trees. How can you make a maple that isn't a maple? Mm -hmm. How can you make a black pine that isn't a black pine? So the idea of a singular artist statement being uniquely Japanese is my opinion that it is these singular artist statement that is bonsai. Now we can all have our separate nuances and how we go about that. And in any given project can veer into specific ideas that we're trying to pursue, but fundamentally they are all trees. I mean, if we think about art and we say, okay, well, if we want to, we, we can use the medium of paint and we can describe all of these different, um, ideas you know what what were the minimalists working with and what were the surrealists working with and if if you talk yeah I mean, i'm making it up now but you talk about you know i'm gonna i'm gonna paint a painting and it's going to describe the the the, the aspects of of smartphone technology on you know postmodern feminism in the 21st century africa <laughs> right. right and this is this is my this is my painting uh -huh. if we're working with bonsai how does a bonsai do anything and how does a bonsai do anything other than describe the natural world? I've never heard of a bonsai describing the postmodern impact of industrial, you know, pollution, right? It's like, I've never heard of uh, of a bonsai as an, as a, as a piece of art to, to describing You know these 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 conceptual art things. So I would suggest that in the pursuit of bonsai, and I don't mean that as a negative thing. I think that the pursuit of, of showing the natural world as in the beauty of the natural world and representing the natural world is always a wonderful thing. But I would challenge you and and others to to think about if bonsai is an art and if therefore we then need artist statements, we are attempting to describe something. What in fact are we attempting to describe? If Let me say it this way. Are we attempting to describe anything other than 
nature and miniature. And if we are only ever attempting to describe nature and miniature, then I would suggest that we are all working under the same artist thing. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's a fair point, but I think it's like, I think it's like the discussion of Kansas is literally flatter than a pancake and that a, mm. that a cue ball if, if blown up to the same size would have the contours of the Himalayas. You know, it's like at what vantage point perspective are you choosing to look at this? Because you can zoom out and, and I think you can make that broad general statement. I think you could, you could make that broad general statement of the medium as well. You know, and I think you, you, could, you, you could zoom in to Japan and you could say, well, there's a definitive difference between Shinji Suzuki's work and Kunio Kobayashi's work and Masahiko Kimura's work and Abihara's work. And, you know, any of the bonsai practitioners, there, there are very glaring differences that are incredibly obvious to the educated eye yeah. to somebody who's that zoomed in walking through any of the exhibitions or any of the gardens in Japan, you know? So like yeah. it, to, to, to some degree, you know, I think it is a matter of perspective, and I think that conversation. Um, one of the one of the limitations and one of the things lacking is is I think the free conversation and discussion of bonsai on this level amongst uh, amongst people that have the ability to change their perspectives and zoom in, zoom in, and zoom out. You know, and, and move through the plethora of ways that we can consider the cultural, the horticultural, uh, the historical, the technical, the artistic, uh, or, or at least intentional uh, considerations and applications of design and, and, and fluently combine all of those elements to just explore some of these topics in these different manners in which you can analyze them. And that's really, you know, like as you've been talking about sort of that age component in Japan, I, I it was interesting because I saw a piece of work that um, Makiko Kobayashi posted of Urushibata son's, uh, Taiga's uh, work. It was a triple trunk Japanese white pine. And, um, you know, like I, I saw the tree before, I saw the tree after the work, I looked at it and I really sat and, and kind of tried to digest it. And I think it was, I think, I think Arushabat's son is, is, is incredibly talented. He was my senpai who was there mm -hmm. for 18 months when I started and was really a formative individual in my, in my apprenticeship and, and continues to, you know, be somebody whose work I look at and really think about and consider. But, you know, that was a piece of work that like in the Western world, I think people looked at and they said, oh my gosh, that's a beautiful, that's a beautiful bonsai tree, you know? And, mm -hmm. and Western bonsai people would look at that and say, oh, that's a beautiful white pine. And then uh, I started thinking as you were talking about this, okay, what would a Japanese person think about that? What would a Japanese bonsai hobbyist think about that? What would a Japanese bonsai professional think about that? And then what would a Japanese master think about that? Because like there is a difference between... Uh, there is a, a difference between somebody who's making a living doing something and somebody who truly is is a shokunin, right? That's a that to to, to become a shokunin is is, yeah. is something that's a lifelong pursuit, and that really comes to fruition. I think when you peak on your narrative arc as a human being, like that's really when you start to and and you kind of pointed at it. Look, Mr. Kobayashi, Mr. Kimura, uh, Mr. Takayama, like that that generation, the bubble period when you saw the kokufu at its at its peak, like that was that was Japan's real high point and moment in Japanese bonsai, at least in the modern era, right? Um, so it's like it, it's tough. It's tough to 
it's tough to break all of this down and simplify it to a degree where it is understandable. Um, mm-hmm. And again, that's where I'm just looking at where you're at and thinking, well, you got you, you, I mean, you have the added complexity um, that I don't think any other foreign apprentice who studied in Japan ha- has really even had to think about or, um, or confront. And, and I, and I just, I, I continue to think like, wow, that's, that has the potential as you're saying, you're excited it's actually creating quite a bit of anticipation and excitement not to put pressure on you, but I'm like, yeah, Adam, what are you going to do about that? Cause that, that is, uh, <laughs> that's, a brain bend- <laughs> that's a brain bender right there, you know? Yeah. But yeah. I was going to, no, I mean, I- oh, go ahead. Please. Oh no, you, you go ahead. I was going to, sur- I was going to circle back and ask you how many times you cried, but maybe we're not ready for that. <laughs> uh, twice. <laughs> twice. Yeah. <laughs> uh- <laughs> yeah. That's, yeah. Um, yeah, we won't go over there. But uh, <laughs> that you know, this this art, the artist statements and the, those those things right there. I think that my my comment about that is, I feel like up until now, these things could be this this could be described in this way, right? That the the general history of bonsai worldwide, because it is so influenced by Japanese bonsai. Mm-hmm. Uh, could be described underneath this single artist statement. I mean, we're all essentially putting trees in pots and sticking them on on wooden stands and and, and calling it a day, right? Yeah. But now that there is, uh, there are different ideas being floated in the world. I believe that once those ideas are initially thought of even by one person they're put out into the world and they built on and they're built on and so like this is the ideas of uh you know flow state or like chick sent me high right mm-hmm. tony hawk there was never a no one ever did a 1080 until tony hawk did it at the x game and once he did it now that's like a, a standard trick sure right so it takes one person to present the idea and then once it's out there then it grows in in the zeitgeist and my feeling is that that what i see as the limitation the, the inherent limitation of the medium that we use living trees to describe a single artist statement to date i think now there is something more to be described i think that that you going out into uh into the mountain you know you're doing your your en plan ah, painting as it were, right? Mm-hmm. Grab your easel and go out into the world and draw that, draw that haystack, right? That's that's like so exciting, man! It's so cool that you're doing that. It's that's where I think we get past where we can move into new ground in terms of artist things. What are we attempting to say? What ideas are we attempting to convey with these? Now, can we move past an artist statement that is? representing nature and miniature that i think is yet to be determined but possibly you know is there a way that you can describe some deeper concern using trees as a medium i'm not sure but now that the idea is out there somebody's going to figure it out i think so i think so i I think you can i think you can because my biggest observation 
and this comes back to the weight, which like the cultural weight, I also want to say is like a really great bowl of ramen. Like my favorite ramen shop, you know, if you got there the day that they freshly made the soup, it was like a little bit, uh, it was a little bit lighter, you know, the flavors weren't as rich, but it wasn't as heavy. And I certainly didn't have the same digestion issues if I was eating it the first day it was made, but three or four days of reduction and you get this dense, you know, it's not even soup anymore. It's like a paste almost and it's flavorful yeah. and it is mm, <laughs> and it fills you up and it has that weight and it's and there's good to that weight and there's bad to that weight and those are two experiences and both of them are very valuable right so like the weight doesn't have to be bad you are getting all of the richness and the richness has some digestive issues but i think like when you think about japanese bonsai there's a pre-world war ii model and there's a post-World War II model. And if you look at early Kokufu books or you look at early publications, they were very wild. And they mm -hmm. were very uncontrolled or at least out of the box and far more representative of those extreme environments prior, prior to World War II. And I think post-World War II, you really saw the tightening up of mm -hmm. the bonsai form, the, 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 the formalization of the accepted model. It came with the economy. It probably came with, I'm guessing, some sort of identity, uh, shift in identity post-World War II or influence from, I don't know, right? There's so many things you could hypothesize contributed to the formalized mm -hmm. model of bonsai and the kokufu leading to the economy that allowed people to survive off of it, right? But the thing that I continued to come back to and the experiences in the wild that ha ha have really informed my bonsai approach is recognizing that human beings in general in the built environment behave the way that we behave because of the built environment. And in terms of the creation of bonsai, the structure and the order of the bonsai form when created in the built environment is, is informed by the walls that are straight and 90 degree angles and the organization of studs 16 on center that you can't even see, but it's the backbone of what holds up the entire surrounding that you know encompasses you. And in the natural environment, you don't have all of that. And suddenly you don't have to have that organization for that piece to make sense or fit in. Mm -hmm. and, and it doesn't matter what ethnicity you are, and it doesn't matter what gender you are, and it doesn't matter. It, none of the constructs of the built environment matter out there. And suddenly like that piece of work, when you take it from that environment back into the organized environment, it doesn't make sense either. And I mm -hmm. really, I really believe bonsai has a capacity to illustrate how potentially you know necessary and comfortable and allowed humanity to proliferate with the organization of society as well as at this point it could be argued as driving us in in the wrong direction and continuing to push us away from you, you know i mean there's a catastrophic end to that if you want to go that far but there's no really no reason to you know there's just a discussion of how do you strike the balance and how does the built environment have a positive impact uh, potentially as opposed to potentially what it's doing and where we're headed. And that, that like that theme, I think when all of the, when the native landscape is completely changed and when the ancient trees are entirely gone, the only aesthetic that might exist might be a bonsai for those species, you know? So there's a time yeah. capsule uh, component yeah. to it that also exists that I think like the medium, you know, in a very serendipitous way, uh, might be the only thing based on the cultivation techniques and extricating them from the uncontrollable natural influence 
might be the only way that it survives. So like I, I feel like, yes, it's nature in miniature, um, but I think there's a greater dialogue that illustrates the relationship and the tree as a communicator of teaching humans what is happening with the land as the great intermediary. You know, the mineral content, the moisture content, the uh, environmental influences, et cetera. And, and, and mm-hmm. what, what has gone beyond that is illustrating the necessity, the necessity of that freedom that the wild environment provides and the weight of the built environment around us and how much that changes uh, who we are mm-hmm. and how we think and how we feel. It's really been, uh, it's, it was nothing, I had none of those concepts, none of those ideas when we started the project. None yeah. of those ideas, you know, and and now it's like an addiction for me. I mean, I'm just waiting for the next time that we go. So, yeah, I, yeah, I'm sure. I, it looks like so much fun. <laughs> it's pretty rock and roll. It looks like so much fun. It's very, yeah. lo- it's very labor intensive, though. It, it's very labor intensive uh, to go do that. So, I have a question for both of you, actually. I think it kind of ties in a little bit to the um, artist statement conversation. I thought you both had a lot of really good points, but one thing that might not have been part of that was uh, the the vessel, the ceramic body, the slab. And do you think maybe, you know, when you look at the, the traditional model and kind of more of the ceramic choices that are made within that model, do you think that maybe European bonsai, Western bonsai, United States bonsai, with the different choices that are available now in in our time, I guess, or, or what kind of what we're exploring here, does that change what, what, what that artist statement can look like? Because the conversation is so much about the tree but you know, for it to be a bonsai, it has to have a container. So, does mm. that does that mean anything, or does that change how you guys think about that? Either of you? I mean, I, I'm. I always just imagine I, in my brain, I put those two together instantly, anyway, right? So it's like when I say bonsai, I'm I. The idea of a tree inside of some kind of container that that's already nested inside of there. Mm. So, you know, if you're I mean, if you're talking about aesthetic choices of of ceramics, I mean, this is a this a slightly different idea than than kind of the the conceptual theory that is an artist statement, right? And so, I'm not sure that that um, putting it considering the vessel is already considered, and I don't think that it would. In my my opinion, I don't think it changes much the deeper conversation of, of st- artist statement type issues. Anything, right? Uh, hmm, yeah, that's uh, well, I, a little bit zoomed out versus zoomed in. I guess maybe as part of that. Well, yeah, too. now you're talking perspective, right? Is yeah. is the cue ball perfectly round or is it the Himalayas? I mean, I think like I know when I was in Japan looking at uh, Western ceramics, I really I really had a hard time finding interest or appreciating them uh you know the antiques ceramics were obviously you know most coveted and i felt like they conveyed the greatest sense of beauty for these trees that already had this age and maturation and and jidai you know that they carried but you know now being in the united states and having had exposure i mean it took me you know it, it took me several years before like a horse tinsel rider container appealed to me uh, and then suddenly I played with it and I used it and I saw how it worked with a tree that didn't have that kind of age and and how it had like this fresh, n- new, unexplored aesthetic to it, which met me where I was at in the context of this place and this 
point in time in bonsai culture in the United States. Um, but I certainly think that like the ceramic vessel is what makes bonsai and bonsai being a Japanese term to describe a, a tree in a tray, penjing being the Chinese term to describe that the penjing choice of, of vessels is going to change. Like I think the Western model of vessels has continued to, to shift and like, what is all of this ultimately, you know, doing, does this model in the Western world not be called bonsai at some point in time? Yeah. Maybe I don't feel like a pressure, like we need to get there, but I think there, there will, as it continues to change, be a point where it, it does need to be understood that bonsai is a cultural term as, as much as like an art form, just like nobody's out there fighting for penjing to be called penjing, you know, like, but, but there is a definitive difference from the, the approach that defines the aesthetic and the intention and the vessel choice for penjing compared to bonsai. So like, I think that conversation, um, continues to evolve but i thought it was interesting when michael hagedorn you know like just challenged the notion of the vessel being present at all you know and like that that was from a that was from a ceramicist uh which i think is is amazing and it's this is how these things go and also you know i i think michael explores a tremendous amount aesthetically and then i also think michael really does beautiful and and understands the 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 deep nuances of 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 bonsai and the aesthetic that is bonsai in japan so it's like a, a really wonderful that's a really wonderful statement that he made with that um but f- yeah yeah f- for 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 me it it does start to be limited by the horticultural necessities of the tree which comes back to your point that uh can you ever actually you know divert enough from this to be functioning on a different artist statement and um and i think that you can but i don't think that it is uh uh, nature in miniature anymore you know i think it becomes something else well that's what i mean by a different artist statement i mean that mm, mm, yeah my my ideas of the artist statement is like you know you're you're going to pursue some some aesthetic choices you're making this body of work and it has it carries some what are you trying to say with it right Mm -hmm. that's the statements what are you trying to say so but then then slightly separate from that you know conversations of of vessel and what ryan you just said about the kind of the use of newly made material vessels and things right Mm -hmm. and and that compared to the age the noticeable mochikomi of uh, of antique stoneware that I won't, at some point in time, all those old, all that old stuff was new. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And and so all that, everything that's being made now, all that, all this very interesting, um, Western ceramics, it it's going to develop that patina over the next few decades, along with the younger trees that are 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 suited for it now. Right. Those trees. Are going to age and the, the vessels are going to age and so yeah it's uh how how do you i i think with michael and what he's doing there with though those like i don't know how often he's done it right because i i've never visited his garden but some of those those like he was using like um linoleum or like some kind of i think it's a nylon it's like a mica or for mica it's like a countertop or something yeah so then you know using those to create 
at least just the skeleton to have things. That vine maple that he put in the artist, man, that's a beautiful tree. That's what a right, what right. a wonderful piece. Mm-hmm. And you know that those kind of uh, for me personally, that those those rock plantings and slab plantings and stuff, man, that's my jam. I can't get enough of that stuff. And mm-hmm. and to be able to, like I said, I I so I went to that university right because I was attempting initially when i was 18 right i was like yeah i'm gonna i'm gonna study ceramics that's why i chose alfred university because it's best ceramics university in the world and then i i when i was there i said okay i don't really want to play with dirt anymore so then i (laughs) pursued uh printmaking rather and but you know being able to use think outside of the box and being able to use unconventional materials to build things you know the I, what Michael is doing, man. That stuff is just killer. And, yeah. And yeah, and I, I, I <laughs> right, here we go, right? I study printmaking, and the idea of printmaking versus painting is the repeated, repeated, repeat, repetitive ability of printmaking. You can make a hundred images that are the exact same if you have the technique to use the printmaking machines properly you make a thousand images it's the repeatability of printmaking that's the that's very interesting and so when you talked about you know shifting from the flip phone to the cell phone or the smartphone right i was at i studied printmaking right just a few years before 3 3d printing really came into its thing right the most advanced uh issues that i could deal with would be a, a a flat printer that had a die cutter on it right mm-hmm. and i could cut out shapes uh, out of paper and um so i was taking those shapes and building three-dimensional sculptures out of them. but using print digital printmaking and uh 3d printing to create hitherto unknown forms to replace the rocks in rock planting or to use as the backbone of vessels I mean, you were using metal, you're using various other things. The potential to use synthetic printable material to essentially make whatever you want as the vessel or as the rock or as as the container for uh, the trees, man. I, I That also is another thing that I'm super keen on. I'm, I'm excited about. I don't have the... Uh, I mean, I don't have the, the, the mental space right now to pursue <laughs> right. it, but I mean, it's, it's in the cards. I think about it all the time. How do we, how do we use printmaking? What, what is the potential of using printmaking to, to create three-dimensional forms that we can then in, you know, combine into the, the trees, use as vessels, use as planting surfaces and things like that. That'd be yeah. wild. Yeah. Yeah. There's a dude in New Zealand. Uh, I think his name wasn't Richard Kearney, Richard yep. Kearney, who's using uh, 3d printing to create the molds. And then, um, we, uh, we podcasted with, um, a really u- unique set of people, uh, that work at one of the cutting edge, uh, 3d printing, uh, facilities in Portland, Oregon, and they 3D print a lot of the artwork that artists bring them. So artists will bring them the concept, and then they'll actually turn it into a three-dimensional model and print it. It's called, uh, their company's called Form 3D. Uh, and that was really radical because, you know, you start talking about all of those unlimited, unlimited possibilities. And then, like, 
you know, I come back to Thor Whole Villa. We we podcasted with Thor uh, when we were at the Trophy in 2020, and he was talking about going to Tokoname and uh, and apprenticing in Tokoname for a few months, I believe. And he really broke down like Tokoname ceramics. It's like, hey, they're making you know toilet bowl toilet bowls and you know bathroom accoutrements, and and then the need for that was gone and suddenly they had all this ceramic capacity and they started copying the Chinese forms of bonsai pots and that became the birth of tokoname, you know, and really mm-hmm. the way that they kind of developed and evolved the traditional forms of Japanese ceramics as they're known in the in the bonsai world. And so like there's like a lot to start to tease out. Uh, and the, th- the thing that I recognize about all of it is you just got to pit at some point there's so much now, right? Like bonsai went from like, here's a tree, then here's a pot to then the tree having all of this complexity species, how you want to train it, how you're going to aesthetically design it and the techniques. And then the pot now has gained all of this intricacy. And then there's like stand or how you're going to present it. And uh, you're going to throw the stand out. And then, and then the context of where you're going to, pre- like it, it is spider fracturing. Bonsai is spider fracturing into a fragmented enough amount of possibilities that I think you're right. We will start to see the artist statement change. I think we are starting to see the artist statement change, you know, and, and suddenly if you completely do away with the containerized environment, but you apply the concepts of bonsai to something outside of that containerized environment, that's a different thing, you know, and suddenly if you take that containerized environment and you 3D print it as some sort of, you know, bio design or whatever, whatever it is, right, un, un, incomprehensible shapes or shapes that could not be made without the 3d printer then what does that become you know and and like what is that speaking to and i think it i think it i i I think there is a lot to be explored there i i think it probably comes down to like a a very fundamental discussion still of the manipulated artificial environment versus the natural and how that tree would behave in that aesthetically horticulturally uh how it would patina over time and this is an undeniable of japanese bonsai is that whatever exploration happened over the course of bonsai's evolution in japan because you you look at bonsai moving to japan depending on like what history book you read let's just say 1100 ad or 1200 ad if that's when it i don't know if you have a a a more confirmed fine yeah sure right uh and then you look at pre-world war ii publications and it's like well what evolution did it make from 1200 ad to that that that, right. that that is a that is a huge question that I have. What evolution did it make to that? Copper wire only started being utilized what in the nineteen thirties, nineteen forties. Yeah, yeah. So that that's was, that's not even a hundred years old. Yeah. What was the artist statement before people were manipulating branches with modern techniques? Right? Straight, straight up, right? That like, too, and, right? And you're talking about. In Japan, samurai culture through the early 1900s before there was a major shift, and then World War II being another redirection that changed the trajectory of the art form. It's uh, it's this is a very still even in the age of Japanese trees a very young interpretation of a medium. As yeah. Fu- as oh, for sure. For art, you know, it's a very very young interpretation. Even in Japan, it's a young interpretation, but it it, it currently is the oldest one that we have to reference that's still alive. I mean, I'm sure there's pockets in China where maybe some really, really old Penjing might have survived. I don't know. You know, I don't, I don't, I don't know anything about that. I don't know. I don't know about that either, but yeah, that's, that's a very true point. You know, and, and you, 
if we look at if we recognize that bonsai anywhere is a result or ne is nested inside of our societies and our cultures as as whole right then this ramping up of everything this exponential growth this need for more you know we need the newest phone and the phone that we have now is like you know i have more power in this thing in my hand right now than was able to put men on the moon mm -hmm. right and yet i have it in my pocket so that that like hockey stick shaped curve of <laughs> <laughs> that's that's nice. That what it looks like. That was yeah. nice. That was nice. <laughs> <laughs> you're from, right? you're that, from that, Pennsylvania. That there you go. Hockey stick. <laughs> that's what we do. That's good. That's good. I mean, it's this explosion of novelty and just across the world. And so sh I completely agree with you. Right? It's like the yeah. the future is exciting. I mean, it's just it's so exciting. Yeah. What can we be, what can we do? What can we build? What can we have? What can we what can we pursue? What can we think about now? You've given me so much optimism though about because oh, man, it's such a complex relationship that 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 comes from being an apprentice as a foreigner in Japan. You know, like but but the last thing that you want to see is Japanese bonsai fall from grace. I, 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 I certainly don't. And I don't, I don't think that's where we're at, but I think like there's a fear like, and maybe this is the same fear that comes with every transition, but there are, you know, the Kunio Kobayashis, the Shinji Suzuki's, the Masahiko Kimura's, uh, the Takayama's, the Kato's. Th these are, these are the giants upon whose shoulders we stand right now in the world of bonsai, you know, and, and to think about a bonsai world that doesn't have these personalities that in our generation have formed the entire footing and foundation, you know, mm -hmm. is hard, is hard to fathom. Uh, and I think you're right. Like Japan, I think the world in general is kind of on a, uh, you know, sort of on a tipping point right now. And it's like, which way is it going to fall? And Japan as a society is on that tipping point. And I think Japanese bonsai is just following that theme. And it's like, where's it going to go? The fact that you're in the belly of the beast uh, with a capacity to sort of be interpreting all of this as well as informing it, as well as allowing that influence to inform the work that you do gives me great hope. Gives me great hope. This first, this is the first conversation I've had in the past 12 years that I have tremendous hope uh, for, for Bonsai in Japan. And I'm not saying it's like magically all of a sudden I see, you know, the rainbow come out or anything like that, but it's like, oh, okay. Yeah, I never really thought about that. I never really thought that that could be a direction. I re never really thought that there's opportunity or optimism inside of that. Uh, and that's good. That's really good. That's really uh, encouraging to find in, in a really stable, formalized uh, approach to the art form that you're finding the space to move. You're finding the space to, 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 to see those chances and, and, and how you can walk your way. Yeah, um, it's a <laughs> it's pursuit, right? It is a pursuit. It's, yeah. I don't know what I'm doing, and I make mistakes every day, but it's it's really fun, and and I mean, I would have it no other way. Yeah, you know? yeah. And we shall see what the future brings us all, and and I am optimistic. You know, because like for example, Shinji Son's son, right? Mm -hmm. Right, he's in his twenties, and he's you know, so it's like there are there are up and coming players 
in the in the Japanese industry, and it is it is us who will decide what shape the future forms into, mm-hmm. right? And I think to that point, I like you know having this conversation with you, right? There's a very few people from the West who have ever done what we have done, and I find it. I think it's extremely important for us to build a community and to support each other with these things, because if we cannot support each other, then, then we're lost. Yeah. But I, I think that there is support and I think that the, the, the potential of that support in, in and building a stronger community, right. It, it necessarily has to be that the future of bonsai is world bonsai. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, we see a lot of Japanese stuff coming out of Japan, right. These ceramics and things. I would love to be able to bring in um, Western ceramics. And I, I don't know that the Japanese, I mean, you know, so like, for example, you know, there are some, some American potters that have won awards at the Gafuten, right? Sure. For their ceramics. And um, it, I think that it goes in, in small steps, but eventually um, I would like to think that there's, there's, um, movement both ways yeah right and that's what i'm hoping to uh, to help facilitate yeah that's great yeah no i think there's i think that there are western ceramicists i mean tom benda you know in europe and um i know uh roy minari has had has had some at least the awareness of his work really uh sort of put under a microscope with some of those submissions and yeah, it's the, there's a lot of potential. It, it 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 does require those baby steps and, and introductions uh, into the community and a little bit more open mind. But I think maybe the next generation in Japan might be a little bit might have a feeling of a necessity to be more open minded. I don't know. You know, I certainly. Uh, mm-hmm. It certainly will wait to be seen because the hierarchy, and again, coming back to the weight of, of, of that culture, there is a hierarchy there that still is respected and those giants, if you will, are still present, you know, and that's, um, that is a tough thing to overcome, especially when it's a, a marker of respect and, and, you know, sort of carries with it all of the components that create those old trees that, that culture is, is what. You know, so it's like it's all tied together in one big soupy soupy mess. But um, yeah. but it's been a pleasure. I, I appreciate you taking the time. It's your it's your yeah. Uh, yeah, it's you. your kid's first birthday today, and I want to let you go be with the fam and and celebrate. He has no idea, but yeah, I yeah, of course, it. right. This is more <laughs> this is more for the family than anything. We all know, you know. Yeah. Um, yeah, well, Thank you very much for the opportunity to chat with you. I hope we uh, have the opportunity to do so again in the future. I think we should and plan on it. Ever, yeah, totally agree. If you ever get a chance to come to Japan, please, uh, please come to my house. I will. I appreciate and I, that. I, I hope that I can come up and visit you as well. That one of these days we'll get those things organized. Yeah, but, come stay with us. We'll go look at old trees and and uh, you you can hang out at Mariah. That would be that would really be a pleasure. That'd for be us. awesome. Man. Yeah, tell yeah. us tell yeah. us uh, everybody who's listening where they can find you. Treehouse Bonsai. What do you have going on? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Treehousebonsai.com is the uh, the place to be, right? And, you know, spot. like I said, I got the whole Instagram thing and the Patreon and whatnot. And uh, there's some uh, kind of a one one more point. I I don't know when this is gonna to you're gonna put this out, but um, if I if I may, 
Uh, I've just brought in a, uh, a, a container of soil to the East Coast. So if anyone is in need of high quality Akadama, good. treehousebonsai.com is the place to get it. There you go. Best, uh, you know, I live in Ibaraki Prefecture, right? Like my yard is literally the Akadama. Yeah. So I'm very versed in how what this stuff is and how, how it's produced, how it's manufactured. So uh, treehousebonsai.com is the place to be. And um, for anyone out there that's ever messaged me before and I've ignored you, I'm sorry. I just, <laughs> I mean, I got so much stuff going on. I can't It's imagine. not uh, out of spite that I can't get back to all my messages. So. And we want some of that uh, farm to table Akadama. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> farm to table Akadama. Yeah, from Treehouse Bonsai. I love it. Yeah. Well, good luck to you. Good luck to you. And uh, and I think we should. I, I think we should stay in touch. We should do this again. It was really. Yeah. Uh, it was really uh, quite a pleasure for me. So I I, I appreciate yeah. your time and and you opening um uh, you opening up to talking to us. So um yeah, let's stay in touch. All right, man. Take care. Thank All you. All right. You too. Thanks, Adam. Bye bye.